So today I'm not really going to be speaking about um, Burundi. Mark asked if I would speak on being devoted to mission. Um, As you know, it's one of our regions beyond values. And uh, a couple of years ago, I was asked to speak on this value um, when we had a global uh, forum in India for regions beyond leaders from around the world. I was very daunted at the prospect But God had been preparing my heart in a way because back in my church, uh, I'm from Gateway in Swindon where Mark and Jackie were from, Um, although now I'm with Trinity in London, but for many years in Gateway. And one of the elders there, Colin, had a few years ago had asked me to write a paper on mission. He said, why don't you write your theology of mission? He asked me to to basically set out in a paper that I was due to give to the elders what my understanding of mission was. And to be honest, at the time when he asked me, I was a bit kind of like, why are you asking me to do that? Because I, being honest, I thought I knew what mission was. I had lived as a missionary in, in Burundi for three years. That was when I first was involved in Burundi, which is 20 years ago now. Um, I'd worked for New Frontiers, running short-term mission teams. I'd worked for uh, David Devonish. Some of you may know him, one of the apostolic leaders uh, in New Frontiers, who's now, uh, actually, he's just handed over the catalyst sphere, but um, who uh, trains in cross-cultural mission and particularly in reaching the Muslim world. And I'd been part of his team, and I'd done training. So I kind of thought I knew what mission was. And uh, Colin obviously knew that I didn't really know what I thought I knew when he asked me to do the paper. And so although it felt like a huge pressure to produce this paper and then to present it to the elders, Mark was there at the time, actually God got hold of my heart and realigned me with his word. And so what I'm bringing today is really the journey that God took took me on of what does it really mean for us to be a people that are devoted to mission. We need to understand what God's mission is before we can really uh, devote ourselves to it. So I'm going to share with you my journey. There's going to be lots of scriptures. We won't turn to everything just because of time, but um, we will look at a couple of uh, passages together in more detail. So um, when I wrote my paper, I challenged myself that I would only believe what I could find evidence of in Scripture. Now, I'm no theologian. I haven't ever studied theology properly. So it felt like a big thing, but I got hold of many books um, and many different uh, perspectives. But I was like, God, unless I can find evidence of things in Scripture, I'm not going to believe anything that anyone says, however good, you know, well-respected their name must be. I have to be biblically convinced. And uh, through that process, God really shook me up, as I said. Now, at that point, my understanding of mission had been based around Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Um, a very well-known passage. I'll just read it. Um, Starts at um, verse 18. Then Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And uh, I don't know if you would be the same as me, that actually when we think of mission, that's a key passage that comes to mind. And obviously it is very key. It's one of the commands of Jesus. We take it very seriously. But what I felt was that actually this doesn't reveal to us what the motive of mission is. That doesn't really show us God's heart. And to do that, we need to look at the big picture in Scripture. We need to look at the story right from Genesis through to Revelation. So I began to trace that, that, uh, that story, um, and uh, I was in for a shock. So the Bible tells us we were made by him and for him. Colossians 1:16 All things have been created through him and for him. Isaiah 43 verse 7 Everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my glory whom I formed and made. And Isaiah 43 verse 21 
the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. And John 4, 23, the Father is seeking worshippers. Now somehow I had lived my Christian life believing that he made us to save us and that we were here to get others saved. But instead, I came to realize that actually we, first and foremost, are made to enjoy him, to delight in him, to worship him, and to bring him glory. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have a heart for the lost. Of course, we want people to to be saved. Please don't hear what I'm not saying, but I'm talking about what was primarily in the heart of God. And it's not primarily for us to see others saved. It's that God may be glorified. And that can only happen when people are saved. But actually, the motive is, is the glory of God. Now, to worship something is to give it value. So worshiping God um, is us expressing his worth, his value, recognizing his worthiness and uh, it was interesting recently, we were having a discussion in our team meeting in, in Burundi about what's the difference between praise and worship. And uh, one of the things that we settled on as a team was actually many things are worthy of praise. Obviously, our God is worthy of praise, but we praise a child. That's not wrong to, to praise somebody for doing something well. But actually, it's only Jesus that's worthy of worship. And, and so actually he alone is the only one that is, that is worthy to receive our worship. And if we're worshipping other things, as you know, we're then worshipping idols. So I began to understand that we're made for worship, that we have been created for God's glory to take part in his mission of him being glorified. So, the many thing, of the many things that uh, God showed me over those weeks when I was doing this study, the one that, which really stands out above all others is the motive of mission is not first and foremost about the lost being saved, but is actually about God receiving the glory and honor that he is due. And the more I studied, the more I began to feel that God was challenging me and realigning my thinking with his words, revealing to me his absolute worthiness and the reasons why he is worthy of such glory and honor and praise, the reason why only he is worthy of worship. And I actually ended up having a really profound encounter with God as I began to study this worthiness. And I want to be honest with you, there was a little bit of me in my heart that was kind of struggling with this thing of, you know, kind of, isn't it a bit arrogant to kind of, you know, to to, to want to be glorified and, and worshipped? And I, and I battled with that, being honest. I don't feel like that anymore because actually what happens is when I focused on who Jesus is, I began to see this, that actually it is that he is worthy because of who he is, because of his nature. So I just want us to take some moments to look at some truths from scripture of who God is to remind ourselves of why he's worthy, why he's worthy of all glory and honor and praise. And actually the way that I was looking at it was a very human way of looking at it. And actually, I repent of that now because it was kind of, it was not putting God in his rightful place. He is God. He doesn't compare with us, as you know. So let me just whiz through some scriptures for you just to to look at some of the attributes and nature of God. Uh, Exodus 34, 5 and 7. 5 to 7. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. That in itself is phenomenal, isn't it? Let's just let these sink into our hearts. Forgive me if I don't give you all the references, but just for the sake of time, I'll just read the scriptures. For the Lord your God is, is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you. Amen. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. 
Praise be to the Lord, to the God, our Saviour, who daily daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Amen. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. But the Lord has become my fortress and my God, the rock in whom I take refuge. The Lord is gracious and righteous. The Lord, our God is full of compassion. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his own, one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Amen. And then many scriptures describing um, again, just the nature of God, I'll just whiz through some of these, that he's eternal, that he's infinite, self-sufficient and self-existent, omnipresent, present everywhere, he's omnipotent, all-powerful, he's omnipotent, omniscient, sorry, all-knowing, he's unchanging, sovereign, wise, holy, righteous and just, faithful, true and truth, good, merciful, gracious, Love and light. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, just, you're just like, yeah, God, how, how dare I even question? You know, you are worthy, Lord God. Really, none other even compares. Can come anywhere close. He really is the only one that is worthy. If you look at the names of God, and I think you've got a series coming up at the names of, of God, but Lord God Almighty, the Lord our righteousness, the Lord most high, the Lord who sanctifies you, master, the Lord that heals, the everlasting God, the Lord will provide, the Lord my banner, the Lord is peace, the Lord my shepherd, the Lord of hosts, the Lord is there. So we can see that actually the only appropriate response is to recognize the worthiness of God and for us to respond in worship to him, as the 24 elders did in Revelation 4:11, when they laid their crowns before the throne and said, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So... We've just reflected a little on who God is and we've been reminded again of his worthiness, that he is worthy to be worshipped and deserves to be glorified and that we therefore are made for worship. We're made to be worshippers. We have been created for his glory to take part in his mission of him being glorified. We exist to glorify him. And I love how John Piper states it this in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. And then he goes on to say, it, worship, is the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. It is also the fuel of missions. You can't commend what you don't cherish. I love that. Let me just read that little bit again. Worship is the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into white hot enjoyment of God's glory. I think it's incredible. So I discovered that the ultimate foundation for our passion to see God glorified is his own passion to be glorified. And we see this in Isaiah 48, verses 9 to 11. It says, For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you. 
so as not to destroy you completely. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. So, if we're to be a people who are truly devoted to mission, we must first grasp that the ultimate motive of mission is worship. John Stott says, The highest of all missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission, important as it is, not love for sinners who are, who are alienated and perishing, strong as an incentive that is, especially when we contemplate the wrath of God, but rather zeal, burning, passionate zeal for the glory of Christ. So point number one in, in what it looks like for us to be a people who are devoted to mission, we are worshippers, worshipping communities, passionate for the glory of God. Now, my second discovery as I, was, as I was doing this paper and as I traced the big picture from Genesis through to Revelation was I really began to feel God began to reveal to me more about what it means for us to be made in the image of God. So we know that scripture says that we are made in his image, which really is man is like God and represents God. That's the meaning of it. You know, and as magnificent as creation is, and as, you know, I know here on the, I always see Mark's uh, photos of the beautiful sunsets that you, that you have here. And, and of course, these things re- reflect the glory of God. But actually, man is uniquely positioned to reflect him. To reflect him brings him glory. And it's only humans, it's only us human beings who are made in God's image. As beautiful as the sunset is, it can't reflect God in a way that he made us to reflect him. It's amazing, isn't it? I find it so humbling. Genesis verse one, oh, sorry, chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So I was actually really impacted that it was God's intention to populate the whole world with people who reflect him and who establish his rule on earth. To establish his kingdom, his rule and his reign. And for me, this changed how I saw mission dramatically. So first of all, the motive for mission had been challenged, and now I felt like my sense of how we do mission, how we define mission, had been challenged as well. We have a mission, we have an assignment to see the kingdom of God established here on earth as it is in heaven. And this mission hasn't yet been completed, we're not there yet. If you think of the Lord's Prayer how Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And God's really been capturing my heart with this. When we think of what heaven is like, that there's no suffering, that there's no sickness, that there's no poverty, that there's no addiction, that there's no bondage, that's what God wants for earth now. And although we know that we will never see that 100%, I don't believe that gives us an excuse to just say we don't have a job to do in terms of seeing the kingdom come here now. And I, um, again, I think this just shifts our understanding from mission being just about salvation. 
It's not just about people going to heaven, but it's about seeing the kingdom come here on earth, God's rule, God's reign, his dominion, the dominion of King Jesus extend when we're beginning to see things done in his in his way in society, when we're seeing righteousness come, when we're seeing integrity, when we're seeing people lifted out of poverty or set free from the things that bind them. These, this is the kingdom coming. Um, in Burundi, as you may know, we're teaching something called Foundations for Farming, uh, which is farming in God's way. And it's based on biblical principles pioneered by a Zimbabwean man, uh, Brian Aldrieve, over 30 years ago, who really sought God on revelation for how God designed the world to be in terms of agriculture. And as Brian began to seek God and apply to farming what God showed him, Brian has pioneered a way of farming, farming that yields 10 times more crops than normal farming does and in fact in some places they're now getting 22 times the yield it's done on a commercial scale it's been done in Zambia it's meant Zambia has been the first nation to export maize because of taking on this farming method commercially and this is due to Brian seeking God for actually how God designed the world to be We sometimes forget how far we've come from God's original design. And in Foundations for Farming, it takes you back to how God designed for things to be in nature. And uh, I went on on the training course many years ago in Zimbabwe. And actually, I didn't come... Well, I did come away knowing a bit about farming. But more than anything, I came away thinking, God, you're so awesome... And man is so rubbish because actually we have, we have messed things up when we don't even realize what we're, what we're doing and how God designed the things to be. And obviously in this example, it's about the structure of the soil and how, um, how God designed everything to be in, cre- in creation. And we've started uh, implementing it in, in Burundi. And all of our first few crops, we've seen 10 times the yield. And it's phenomenal. And it's like, that's an example of the kingdom of God coming in farming as we seek to do things in in God's way. And it's his rule and his reign coming. And that's what he wants for every area of society, for each and every one of us, whatever our sphere of influence is. You know, sometimes we can think that mission is for uh, people like me that are working in another nation. But mission isn't. It's, it's here, right, right here and now, wherever we are. Each and every one of us is valued before God. We, 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 sorry, I've, I'm, I'm going to come, I'm going away from my, from my notes, but, but sometimes we disqualify ourselves, don't we? I, so many times people come to me and they, and they're like, oh, I think what you're doing is amazing. And it's like, no, it's not. I'm, I'm called to do what I'm called to do. I happen to be called to work mainly in another nation. That doesn't make me any more special than anybody else. I'm not qualified to do it. I'm very weak. I often say to God, why? Why did you, why did you choose me? But he did. But he's chosen each of you too, wherever, wherever you are in this community to see the kingdom of God come. And um, in... Um, In Burundi, um, again, this is a a lesson that God has been teaching us over the years. God's really spoken to us through Isaiah 61. I don't know if you would like to just turn to uh, that passage. Isaiah 61, verses 1 uh, to 3. And it's a passage that's often referred to as the Kingdom Manifesto. Let's just read that passage together. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And to me, this passage really talks about transformation at every level. 
And we've really, we, for us, this is a real guiding passage um, in Burundi where God's given us a, pr- a promise of transformation. But that's not just for, Burun- uh, for Burundi. You know, your will be done on earth as in heaven. You know, God has anointed us, each and every one of us, to, to bring good news to the poor. Who of us don't know someone that's broken-hearted? You know, my friends who've just lost their 11-day-old baby and, you know, the whole family in, in grief and freedom for the captives. What does that mean, literally? You know, like I said, those are people that are bound up with things, whether it's debt or addiction or fear or mental health challenges or whatever it may be, the things that are going on, the loneliness that binds people, suffering and sickness. We are all in an environment where these things are real and God has placed us all here right where we are to be able to represent him to the people around us. You know, and we don't have to come with clever words and we don't have to um, you know, feel like, oh, I have to have a degree in theology before I can talk to someone. You know, sometimes we get to represent Jesus by just hugging someone, showing them kindness. You know, we have a lady in, in Burundi. She lost five of her six children in a disaster that happened a number of years ago. Her name is, is Adette. And when we first met her, when we were going Uh, to visit the community after this disaster, you know, and it's like sometimes you're like, actually, words can actually sound very trite. They may well be true, but when when we met her, I just remember we were actually doing some filming for a video, and I just felt like I just wanted to hug her. And whenever I, whenever I see her now, we just always have this massive, massive hug. And she, and she said, she's like, I feel like I know God's love when you hug me. And that's not just me, that's for all of us. You know, we mustn't undervalue who God has made us to be. He's given us the capacity to love. You know, he loved us, we can love others. And so just showing kindness and being able to be salt and light in, in this community, those that you have influence with, let's not underestimate it because imagine the impact if all of us in all of our churches suddenly rise up and we're like, wow, I matter to God. Mission is not for the select few. It's not. It's for each and every one of us because actually as we represent Jesus we are bringing him glory. And as other people encounter Jesus through us, then they will start to bring him glory because they will submit their lives to him. And then obviously they, they start reflecting him too and representing him. And if we catch this, if we, like, if we catch the value that God has given us, I think it will change us and it will change our communities radically if we just shift away from, from mission only being about seeing the lost saved. It really is about so much more than that. I remember a few years ago really just saying to God, I don't know if I really understand your kingdom. And I remember uh, Dave Devonish preaching and he was saying, you know, he said, every time we're obedient, every time we make a decision to be obedient to God, that is the kingdom of God coming. That's his kingdom advancing in us, in our lives. Every time that you make a decision in your workplace to act righteously and with integrity, or whatever situation that you're in, the kingdom of God is coming on earth as it is in heaven. And this is part of the mission of God. So, our lives have incredible value, that we have the privilege of representing God. This is incredible. So it's not just about telling people about Jesus, but we have the privilege of showing people Jesus as well. In our community, as I've said, in our sphere of influence, our mission field, right where God placed us, don't devalue yourself if you're not called to another nation. Another nation is no more significant than this one. Yes, we do carry the nations in our hearts, but don't devalue where where you are. You are here for purpose, each and every one of us. 
So I hope that this shatters the false belief that so many of us do have, that mission is for a select few, the elite, the super spiritual, the super brave. People that know me well have discovered that that I'm not what they think I am. (laughs) Somebody came came out to Burundi with me last year and at the end of the the trip we were just reflecting and doing a bit of debriefing and he's like this has been such an amazing faith-building trip and I'm like yeah right tell me more and he says like Donna if God can use you God can use anyone (laughs) this is Clive (laughs) and it's true it is absolutely true because he saw me he saw me create disaster when a caterpillar fell on me (laughs) And it, there we are in this, in this country that isn't very safe. And so he kind of had this false impression that I was this super brave person. Then he saw a caterpillar fall on my leg. The table went up. The meals went up. Everything went over. Complete disaster. And he's like, hmm, that's a faith-building moment, he said. So, this morning, I don't know if you heard, I didn't even manage to get here on the right, in the right thing. I ended up on the car ferry instead of the foot passenger, I mean the red jet, whatever it was. <laughs> Took me an hour and a quarter, an hour and a half to get across from Southampton. It's like, really? <laughs> so, <laughs> if God calls us, that's all we need. And each and every one of us is, is called to whatever it may, it may be. We don't have to be super brave. And I think actually God is saying to us in these days that we need to rise up and know who we are in him. We really need to take hold of it. Sometimes we think we can go around with this false humility of just like, oh, I've really not got a lot to offer. And, you know, we compare ourselves to one another. But actually, I don't think that glorifies God. I think what glorifies God is for us to say, yeah, Jesus, we know that we are weak and we are human, but we know what your word says about us. And you made us in your image to represent us, uh, to represent you, and you told us to go and subdue the earth. You gave us a mission. And God would want us to rise up and say, Yes, Lord, I will do that. I'm not going to disqualify myself anymore. Now, of course, in the big picture, we know that at the fall, When man rebelled against God, the image of God was defiled. And from that point on, his image was in need of restoration and man was in need of redemption. So we know we're not perfect. We know we don't get it right all the time. But we have Jesus as our example of a man who lived on earth. And we must recognize that we're in the process of being changed, of being conformed, of being made similar, more like Jesus. We're a work in progress. Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And the more we become like him, the better that we represent him, and the more he's glorified. And I think the amazing thing is that we get changed as we worship, as we gaze upon him, as we gaze, fix our eyes on Jesus, as we allow ourselves to be captivated by him, his majesty, his beauty, his love, his grace, all of the attributes that we, we looked at earlier and many more that we didn't have time to look at. As we give him the honor that he is due, as we minister to him, we will change because we become like what we worship. As we behold Jesus, as we worship him, we will be changed to be more like him. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is spirit. Isn't it amazing that when we do the very thing that we were created for, he changes us in the process. Being in his presence will change us. By worshipping him, we will become more like him. Fruitfulness comes from intimacy. That's the key, intimacy with our Lord and Saviour. He's after worshippers, not converts. Worshippers, that's, that, that's what's in the heart of God. Yes, that does mean conversion, but 
Jesus is after worshippers. That's what he deserves. So preaching the gospel is, of course, vital, but proclaiming the gospel alone isn't evidence of being a people devoted to mission. It's about so much more than preaching um, the gospel, and it's about so much more than seeing the lost saved. So the second point of what is it to be a people who are devoted to mission? A people devoted to mission understand that we are image bearers, and we are passionate about representing Jesus and about playing our part in seeing the kingdom of God come on earth as in heaven. So we've looked a little at why and the how, and now just let's look at the where. So a people devoted to mission will have a passion not just for the lost, but for the nations, including the unreached, the unreached nations. Now, unreached is a a term which um, generally it's agreed that if there are less than 2% of believers in a people group, and no reproducing indigenous church, that that people group is unreached. So it means unreached, unreached is not the same as unsaved. So here we're, we're thinking about people where they're in a situation where they don't have enough Christians among them to be able to plant a church there. They don't have enough Christians among them to be able to share with them the, the news, the good news of Jesus to be able to be those who are in that area seeing the kingdom come. And uh, there's a man called Ralph Winter, and he's defined this um, term unreached. And this is something I really believe that God wants to put before us in these days as regions beyond, because we're in a a family of churches that is called regions beyond, because our heart is to make sure that we go to regions beyond beyond to the very ends of the earth and that means we're going to be going to these people groups where they don't have Christians among them so Ralph Winter has defined unreached as this a people group within which there is no indigenous community of believers able to evangelize the people group without outside cross-cultural assistance Unreachedness is thus not defined on the basis of whether there are any Christians there or not, or whether there are any missionaries working among them or not. It is defined on the basis of whether or not that culture, in that culture, there is a viable, culturally relevant, witnessing church. So, this has got implications for us. If we read in Isaiah 49... Um, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel that I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. That's Isaiah 49 verse 6. And then Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. That word nations in the Greek is ethne, and it means ethnic groups, not the nations that we know today with our geographical boundaries. And there are around 16,600 ethnic groups in our world today, and over 6,000 of them are still unreached, totally unreached. That's around 40% of the world's population. In my uh, researching about this, I found out that Coca-Cola is more known than Jesus. That's shocking, isn't it? That's absolutely shocking. And so there is a massive unfinished task before us. And it's really important that we engage with the reality of this current situation, that we understand this. And there's a research initiative called Joshua Project. Uh, if you're interested, you can look up on, the, on their website, joshuaproject.net. Uh, and they have an amazing wealth of information. Um, I've brought some of their handouts with me today. You're welcome to have a look, but gives the state of... World evangelization um, gives information on the various different people groups. There's all sorts of handouts. It's, it's 
fascinating and it's shocking. Um, gives you information about um, nations that still don't have the Bible in their own language, but where Bible translation is needed. And it gives information on um, those thousands of unreached people groups. And there's these little prayer cards um, that tell you how many people are in the different people groups in the world that still need to be reached. And I've given some to Jackie this morning. Um, if you would um, like to have one of these, she's just going to come round and, and give you one. It's just random examples of um, these people groups where um, that you can just look at and you can see the face of somebody and you can see that some of these people groups have thousands but many of them have millions and millions of people in them. And many of these um, unreached people groups are in the most hardest places to reach in, in earth, in nations that we would are often referred to as closed nations. They're not closed to God, but in the Middle East, in the Muslim world, where there's great persecution, where geographically it's difficult to, to reach people. And... We need to take this seriously in our day because um, this research initiative, this group, Joshua Project, they believe that it is more possible now than at any time it's ever been in history for us, for this generation now, to reach every people group. Because of our transport, because of our technology, we are in a position where others that have gone before us have not had that uh, ease, as it were. Not that it's easy, but we, it is possible. And that has implications for us. Not all of us will go to frontline mission, but we need to carry the unreached in, in our hearts because they are in the heart of God. And at the moment, they have an eternity in hell if we don't rise up as the body of Christ and say, you know what, we are going to be those who carry regions beyond in our hearts. We're going to be those who carry these unreached people groups in our hearts. And there's an app, if you're interested, Joshua Project, um, download it, and you can just ping on it every day, and it has the unreached of, of the day, and it gives you a few simple facts and a picture where possible, and you can just begin to engage with the world out there that actually we know so little about I was reading something at the weekend. At the moment, the place where, where most people are being saved, according to, uh, this was according to Open Doors, is the Middle East, and particularly in the nation of Iran. Apparently, there's an incredible move of, of God going on. And, of course, so often we don't hear about these things, but God is on the move, and, uh, you know, we're, we're not a tiny remnant that's going to die out um, you know, we, we, we are the church of God and there's a mission before us and we are promised victory. So let's rise up and say we are going to be those who, who carry the unreached in our, in our hearts and that we have a role to play in sending and receiving. And the reality is 32 of those unreached people groups, 32 of the 6,000 or so, are represented in the UK which is staggering. 32 of the world's unreached people groups are in our own nation. I don't know how many might be in the Isle of Wight. I'm afraid I couldn't find those figures. Um, but some of you on those cards that have just gone round, some of you, it says, it gives the name of the ethnic group and then it says United Kingdom because they're represented in the United Kingdom. So actually, these are days of unprecedented opportunities for us where we have the nations among us and we need to check our own hearts and our own attitudes because I don't have to tell you, you, you've seen for yourself the hostility that there often is towards those of other nations and other ethnic groups and how people are treated. And yet God is at work in sending people amongst us to get saved who will go back to their own nations and who are far more able to reach their own people than we ever would be. You know, they know the languages, they know the culture. And maybe, just maybe, God has allowed for them to come to our nation that we actually can love them and represent Jesus to them, that we share the gospel with them, that we see them saved, and that they then go back and share the gospel with their own people. It's, it's not by accident, and I really believe that that's a challenge for us in the UK particularly because we have such hostile attitudes so often.
I remember a few years ago, I, um, I was at the Brighton Leaders Conference run by New Frontiers, and there was um, a man who shared a testimony that he had, been, um, he had been a Muslim and he had been planning to carry out a suicide bombing. And he met a lady who actually he ended up marrying, but through this lady he got saved and obviously he never carried out the bombing and there he was on the on the platform at the Brighton Conference Centre saying I was I was going to carry out a, a, a suicide bombing as an Islamic fundamentalist but Jesus saved me and and you know that is like yes god yes lord let us have hearts that love and reach out let us not get caught up in the fear that, that this nation is caught up in, that every Muslim that we meet is, is here to destroy us. That is not the truth. But even if it were, we have love. We, we get to represent Jesus to those people and love them. And who knows what, what God may do. And this is part of what it means for us to be a people devoted to mission. And finally, the last point today, a people who are devoted to mission want Jesus to have his inheritance and they will surrender their all. We don't play it safe if we're devoted to mission. It's going to mean sacrifice. I don't know if you've heard yet of the um, prophetic word that has come recently to uh, regions beyond about a new era. Um, Have you shared that? Okay, so um, I really believe that part of this new era for us, not to be heavy, but just to be real, is actually that it's going to be a day of sacrifice. For some... It will mean being martyrs. I believe that. The Bible talks about that. We don't often think about that. For some, they will literally lay their lives down. But for all of us, there's a cost, whether it's in prayer and really allowing ourselves to intercede for the unreached, for the Muslims, for whatever group it may be that God puts on your heart, for these people groups that are represented on the cards that have just come round, that we will allow ourselves to be moved with, with a real sense of God's heart for those that don't know him and his kingdom, that we will give to send others, that we will give sacrificially, that we will surrender, that we won't put first and foremost our comfort and our safety. We're in such a risk-averse climate. And, you know, I shared at the beginning some of the challenges we've been facing in Burundi. And, you know, that's just one example. So many places are much more hostile and volatile than than Burundi is. But, but, But for us at the moment, this is real. You know, and it's like, actually, yeah, we're at risk. Should we say we don't go? No, I don't believe so. Unless God says don't go, then I believe that actually we'll say, no, Lord, if, if it means that we lay our lives down, then we'll do that because you're worth this. It doesn't mean God's not in control. He wants to lead us. He wants to empower us. He can protect us. But we know what scripture says. And we only have to look at, at Jesus, our example. You know, there's no victory without sacrifice. It's a principle of the, of the kingdom. Sacrifice is necessary for, for victory at, at some level. And, of course, Jesus demonstrated that. But actually, we are all called, I think, to think differently. Not to think, oh, can I afford it? Is it, is it safe? Or whatever. Which, I, you know, I get that. I do that myself. But I know at the moment God is saying, what does it really mean? You call me Lord... We're saying Jesus is Lord of our lives. What does that really mean? Are we, are we really ready to, to surrender? Are we really ready to lay our lives down and say, Lord God, at any cost, whatever it is you're asking of me, to see myself differently, to see myself as you see me, that I'm going to change my attitudes that are hostile to others or where my heart is hard. Oh, I'm going to freely give that I can send others. 
I'm going to give of my time to pray for others. Revelation 5, 9 to 10 says, With your blood you purchased men from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on high. Jesus has purchased men from every tribe and language and people and nation, and he deserves his inheritance. Will we play our part in ensuring that he gets what he bought? You know, Jesus isn't going to come back until the ends of the earth have been reached. 2 Peter 3 verses 8 to 13. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Will we do that? Friends, will we rise up? Can we respond to Jesus? Yeah. Could I just ask you that if you, if you just want to freshly surrender yourself to the purposes of God today, could you just stand? It can be at any level, but just if you're saying, God, I'm here, have your way with me, change my heart, change my attitudes. I'll go. I'm willing to lay my life down. Would you just, please just stand. Father God, Lord, I ask you that you would lift our eyes to you, Jesus, to see who you are, Lord, in all your glory and your majesty, Lord. Lord, I'm aware this word might seem quite heavy, but Jesus, just bring us back to who you are, Jesus, the one that is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. And Lord God, would you captivate our hearts afresh with who you are, Lord, that we don't do this out of duty, We don't do this to be super spiritual, but Lord, we do this out of a genuine heart response to you, Lord God, to the work that you've done in our lives, Lord, and for us seeing your heart for others and for your kingdom to come, Lord. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. Lord, I ask today, Lord Jesus, would you come? Lord, would you pour out your spirit afresh, Lord, on Apex Church today, Lord God. Father, I want to pray for a fresh empowering for every person in this room today, Lord God. Every person who's part of this, uh, this community here who's not in here today, Lord God, that you would come on them, Lord God, that you would empower, Father, Apex Church to go and bring transformation, Lord God, here in the Isle of Wight and to the ends of the earth, Lord God. Father, I pray for a release of your spirit. Father, I pray for a fresh passion for your name, Lord God. Father, I pray for fresh revelation of who you are, Lord Jesus. And Father, I want to pray for many testimonies in the days ahead, Lord, of lives changed, of salvation, Lord God, of transformation, Lord, of your rule and your reign coming here, Lord God in this place because of your people here, Lord God. Thank you that no one is here by accident, Jesus. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Lord God, we belong to you. And Lord, we want to be devoted to your mission, Lord, of seeing you glorified. Because Jesus, today we declare you, Lord, you, Jesus, you alone are worthy of worship and of glory and honor. Amen. 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 Amen.